millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, in which we go back in time to assess Irish albums past. The year is 1999 and I've got a great panel with me today. I have to, uh, Ed Smith of Today FM. How are you? Panicked there, so I did. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, I doubted that? myself there briefly. Proper radio DJ. Are we you know? really here? I got scared. <laughs> and we have Elaine May back on the show. How are you, Elaine? Good. Good to be here. Kieran McGuinness, as always. Hello there. And journalist and presenter of the award-winning Fair Game podcast, Elaine Buckley. Thanks for slipping that in there, Dave. Appreciate it's a, it. It's award-winning. Go check it out, listeners. But not until you hear this episode, which centres around 1999. Kieran, what was going on in the world of pop culture? Uh, pop culture. Okay, so films was American Beauty, The Matrix, Being John Malkovich, Magnolia, uh, The Insider. Fight Club. Fight Club. Shit, I didn't write yeah. that down. Fight Club. Three Kings. Three Kings. Great year. Yeah. Um, yes, loads of films like that. And uh, in music, Soft Bulletin, 69 Love Songs, Rage Against Machines, Battle of Los Angeles, um, Sigurosa's deb- debut, Pavements, Terror Twilight, um, The Fragile Nine Inch Nails, Midnight Vultures, The Hot Mess by uh, Beck, um, Slim Shady's album. Anything else that anyone remembers? No. TLC's fan mail. Oh, yeah. Hit me maybe one more time, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Solid, solid year. Very good year. Robbie, well, Robbie Williams' debut album as well came out that year as well. Which Life as Through a, Lens, was it? As a young Take That fan, was a pretty big one. <laughs> People He's, like uh, me. It was pretty hit and miss for him. It looked like it was going to be pretty hit, hit and miss uh, at the start. He had that terrible cover of something and then... Oh, George Michael, Freedom. And then there was all the like, getting drunk with Oasis and everything. And then Angels came along. 
that was it. Changed his life. Changed his life. Mario the work, actually, Mario Rosenstock tells a story of in and around that period before Angels, he was having a drink in the front lounge. I think it wasn't that long open. And this, he thought it was this homeless guy who was just harassing people for cigarettes or light of his, of his dressed up in a tracksuit. And Mario was kind of like, not now, thanks. It was Robbie Williams in his kind of mad phase before he kind of hit the big time and people were kind of turning their back on him. Even if they recognised him, they are going, oh God, it's that Egypt from Take That. <laughs> and uh, little did they realise they could have lit a cigarette of a superstar. Yeah, no selfies back then, Jesus. Thank um, God, yeah. Thank God, yeah. Imagine that. Um, yeah, Rob Williams, I don't know. I, I, I kind of had a bit of a soft spot for him and I've been pilloried for saying that. I thought, like, his second album was quite good. Millennium? Is that what Millennium, it yeah. yeah. No Regrets is a fantastic song. It's a brilliant song. It's a, it's a great, great song. song. Okay, we'll, we'll agree on that. Um, <laughs> as well as that, uh, Sopranos started as well as Family Guy. Um, Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan ret- retired. Bill Clinton, Clinton um, impeachment started against him. Um, and uh, obviously Tony Blair and John Bruton were in charge in Ireland and the UK so it was kind of um, very much uh, uh, the turn of the sort of the millennium and everything there was those of albums called there was the Willennium Will- Will- yep. yeah. there was Millennium <laughs> and then there was a couple of those and there was a song called Millennium so a lot of people were obsessed with it 1999 wasn't you know was on the radio a lot uh, Disco 2000 was on the radio a lot so it was uh, around Maniac that time. 2000 as well don't forget Maniac 2000. Well, it's on, it's on the air always, but like, you know, that was particularly prescient year for Maniac 2000. Yeah, maybe. I thought that was much... Oh, no, no. The remix was 2000, wasn't it? Wasn't it like released in like 94? We'll have to get Mark McCabe on the phone. I'm not yes. entirely sure. Anyway, so yeah. So it was a lot like a lot going on. In the film, The Matrix, they, you know, they say that they designed The Matrix on the year 1999 because it was the pinnacle of... Uh, of you know human kind of culture or whatever it was before everything happened and all before the Y2K bug was going to destroy the yeah. entire but you universe. know I mean like, if you think about it I mean there is something about 1999 it was before you know maybe air travel went down the toilet because of whatever else you know it was at the time where the internet had this huge sort of possibility before it just whatever went. happened to the internet <laughs> no, <laughs> no one ever talks about it anymore yeah? well you know before now it's like you know it's the bane of people's existence as, as well as you know great Great for Wikipedia for things like this. But, well, wasn't, wasn't Napster founded in, 19, or in 1999, though? As well, That's just after popping into my head, 1999. Probably. Oh, that's actually, yeah, around that time. Which obviously changed music dramatically yeah, as well. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, and I don't, and as well, it, it's just after the big, uh, after Britpop, which was this huge, you know, re, revitalization or whatever, whether it was or not, but of British music and obviously Irish music in the same kind of world so you know after OK Computer you know so there was a, a lot of stuff being written around that time you would think the music would be of incredible quality you mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. oh also sorry uh, The Blair Witch Project was 1999 I well. love The Blair Witch Project yeah man and I remember going to see that yeah. with my sister my then 25 year old sister who cried hysterically all the way home sorry for bringing that up Emma, rightly so it's still one of the scariest films I've that ever seen. ending man like, like mm-hmm. to this day I think about that at 2 in the morning day. and that's me awake for the rest of the night yeah. Yeah. so the ending of that is that the stand against the wall? Spoilers for mm-hmm. uh, yeah, okay. for an almost twenty year old movie, but yeah, it is. So it's left to your imagination as to what's happening, and that's the real scary. It's the a real great horror, horror film. It's brilliant, Blair Witch. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. Did you see the uh, sequel slash remake? No, we don't talk about that. Not good. No. Not good. <laughs> I'm so let down. Anyway, here at home, Kieran, what is going on? Um, well, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, do you mean... Uh, we have a short list of albums that yes. we have to talk about today. That's the whole show. It's actually the the episode because every act on here starts with a the. Yeah, random. Uh, so there's five albums that we've chosen. We, we, we whittled down from a, um, a pretty pretty big list. Um, so The Prayer Boat and um, The Stra- Hard 
to pronounce, uh, Polly Chanel, and the four of us and classified, classified personal, f- the Frank and Walters, uh, Beauty Becomes More Than Life, the Plague Monkeys, Sunburn Index, and the Frames, Dance the Devil. Yeah, I expected more of a kind of, I don't know, vivid year for music or something. I think it goes into that whole 1999 thing and just remembering it and kind of like getting into music kind of properly around the time listening to the radio a lot. But like the albums that we kind of came to were a lot more kind of, I guess, indie-ish. But yeah, that's there's fine. a lot of alternative stuff on the list, yeah. Yeah, but we'll see. Uh, what didn't make it? Well, what didn't make it, and I guess we'll go around the table a little bit, but uh, uh, Mary Black was chosen by a few people to listen to and it didn't get through. So what was the feelings there? Anyone have any thoughts on it? The cover of Crowded House Falls yeah. Your Feet. I, that's one of my favourite songs of all time. I never realised she'd actually covered it and I heard it and it's just absolutely rotten. <laughs> <laughs> it was her second album. I think she'd released Shine or she was her first American attempt to break the American market mm. didn't quite work so she kind of stripped things back I think to kind of bring it back to whatever it is the essence that Mary Black had or has <clears throat> and she was saying earlier when I was growing up in the late 80s early 90s Mary Black was one of the four CDs or tapes even then that every house had she was monolithic in this country so it was fine you know kind of mystical Celtic hogwash for a lot of it but uh I still like her, and I know her daughter, so I'd better be careful. But I, I, it was funny because when I looked it up, um, uh, there's an aggregator of albums and all the, uh, reviews or whatever else, and um, one of them had the, the highest rated Irish album that year was the Mary Black album, so it got got amazingly well reviewed. Another one was the uh, Adrian Crowley album, and you listened to that one, Dave. Yeah, I thought it was good, because um, I kind of was thinking, he's won the choice before, right? Was he the yeah. first one to ever win it? So I kind of was like, oh, actually... No, but oh, I thought he was. I, I, I was kind of like unfamiliar with him, so I kind of gave it a go. I mean, it's not anything groundbreaking or anything but I thought I had a little bit of character work in there that I quite liked and actually like the idea of kind of character work will come up in one of these records where I thought it was lacking not that his was blow away but I can see why it didn't make it I just thought it had a little bit of charm anything else anyone wants to throw in I quite liked the Mary Black album but then when I got to that cover as well I was like mm, not sure <laughs> and it kind of put me off but it's really well produced and her voice is amazing. So but Don Lunny's like on one. it. I mean, there, there's some great serious musicians on it. Oh, I'd say she'd be a, a great production. Call on yeah, a spectacular lineup for these things. Cranberries Bury the Hatchet as well. Didn't make it. Difficult record, I would say. Uh, uh, that, o- often that, cited as a bit of a tricky one, I think. Well, the funny thing about it is, if for Cranberries fans, they say this, that they, that's one of the favourites of, the, of their whole career, is that one. And um, so I kind of went into it thinking, oh, well, I assumed it would be one that people would choose because often there's one big name that gets in because, you know, it's one that everyone kind of spends time with. And I I, I wasn't a fan. Okay, (laughs) that's fair. Yeah, no, me neither. And as a I'd be very much a retrospective Cranberries fan because they just weren't of my era when when when, like in 93 and 94, when they released kind of their their two bigger albums with all their their huge songs on it. Um, So I kind of went into listening to this one, expecting even one track along those lines. And it's just nothing kind of struck me as much I, as I heard it twice and I still can't remember a single song well, that is like you're, you're looking surely. for something that packs a punch like yeah. a how or a linger yeah, or a yeah, totally dreams yeah. and it's it just one of my dad's favourite bands uh, Cranberries which is pretty random <laughs> you'll be in the kitchen singing linger and I'll be like <laughs> it's a good song it holds up but do the frames hold up let's have our first album on this list let's listen to Pavement Tune by the frames this situation's killing me it's got me right under the phone I don't know where I want to be This doesn't make no sense at all You're quoting every single line I spoke too much but I was old Before my time you told me You see I want my life to make more sense 
So that's Glenn Hansard and The Frames, as I like to call them, with Dance the Devil. I gotta confess, The Frames were a band that I've never quite gotten the full appeal of. For some people in this country, it's a religion. Elaine May, where do you stand on The Frames? Um, well, I had actually never heard this album before at all. To be honest, I'd never heard any of these albums because when I was 15, I was pretty much strictly into metal music. Um, and spent a lot of time listening to Corn and Marilyn Manson and stuff. So all this stuff just passed nice. me by completely. Um, so when you guys asked me to do this and I looked at the list, I was like, right, well, this will be an education. So I've learned a lot about Irish music in the last week and a half. But um, yeah, it's a really good album. I really enjoyed it from, I think from start to finish, it's really complete. Uh, I think the journey through it is really good as well. Um, I think it's really rich um, and I, I really like his voice. So as someone who has no experience with it whatsoever, I really liked it. Fair enough. Uh, Ed, are you a Frames guy? Uh, I was. Uh, they kind of bypassed me as well. I was 23 in 1999. I think uh, maybe it's a typical Irish thing, but like, I think the kind of the religious fervor that the Frames fans had for the Frames in some kind of awful inverse snobbery kind of put me off, mm. which is a very typical Irish thing That's to say. Irish, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it is, and to, to my great shame, because I did I do like them, but I think that kind of maybe made me keep away from them for some years. So it was good to go back. I really enjoyed this experience, and I want to thank you for it because uh, I've haven't heard a full album because of the nature of my job. I have to listen to songs, and then you don't have much time to kind of sit back and kind of let an album percolate because there's always something else coming in or being sent to you. So, as we mentioned, the start of Napster back in '99, of course, maybe that was the beginning of the end for maybe people listening to full albums. And I think that listening to the Frames and Dance the Devil, it really is, as Elaine says, the kind of perfectly curated and kind of thought out sequentially realised album that's the most wanky thing I'd probably hopefully say uh, for the rest of this podcast but you know with the start of it perfect opening line is the perfect opening line to the album and I think it's the best of the frames you know it kind of shows their variety and uh, a lot of their ambition I think they were having problems with the record label around this time and there's a lot of anger in there which always makes for some of the some of uh, singers and bands' best albums. We'll get to the Franks later on. I think they were having problems as well. So you can hear a lot of the anger there, but this is kind of very subtle songs like Star Star. And it's been so long since I haven't heard the live version of Star Star. Because, you know, when we play Evil on the Station or you hear it, it's always that kind of... The one mixed with... The, with the imagination on, yeah. with, um, on, on violin. So it's even a bit more stripped back and a, little, a gentler version of it. And it's, it doesn't have that live uh, element, which was nice to hear that again. I think it's probably their... Their best album, people would say Fitzgeraldo, but I think it's the, probably the most Framesy album. And if you're a fan of the Frames, then um, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I agree with so much of what you just said there, particularly kind of coming to them with that kind of skepticism. Because mm. I do find that, like, Frames fans are a particular kind of breed, I suppose. And I mean, like, I've heard stories about Frames gigs and just how kind of precious it all is. I mean, yeah. like, granted, I mean, like, there is a line that can be crossed, which was crossed physically by uh, one of my brother's friends when they played the Spirit Store in Dundalk. Around this time, probably, actually, where, like, apparently during one of their songs, it was like a real deep moment. And they were just letting it breathe, letting it breathe. And one of my brother's mates leaned over and, like, went ring on one of the guitars, oh. which was, you know, not cool. Don't do it. But I thought, if you're going to do it at any gig, that's probably the one to do it at. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I just kind of find with the frames, like, I don't quite get it. And with Glenn Hansard, like, I must, I, I got to say, I just, I don't really get it. And I find him, his kind of balladeer side, which I guess is most of what he does, just doesn't do it for me. I think there's a massive ego there that I don't really feel is backed up in the music. And what I do like about this record, though, as you say, is there's anger. I think the frames are best when they're at their kind of raw edges and they're a bit punchy and he's a bit pissed off. And it kind of sounds like they're they're not afraid to experiment. It does sound like kind of lads in a practice room, but obviously well, well produced. 
I when they get into the more kind of confessional stuff, it loses me. But songs of like pavement tune, uh, even the stars are underground. I think is really a good number as well. I mean, like I try and come to records that I know I'm going to be cynical about, and I do my best to kind of fight that. And on this one, I mostly kind of won. I actually kind of came away from this thinking it is a really good record, but I do find those little kind of moments where it gets all kind of quiet and personal in that kind of Glenn Hansard TM way just loses me a little bit. I think the problem with Hansard, some people have what I have, I should say. I'm not (laughs) going to put it on other people's shoulders. Is that it's a fine line between sincerity and earnestness. Sure. And I think that as time has gone on, maybe, he has crossed that Rubicon into, into earnestness and Irish people being who they are, myself included, We'll throw the two fingers up pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quickly, My which is unfair of well, me, yeah. really, because, like I say, it was good to go back and go. Actually, do you know what? They have some wonderful songs, and this is a great album. So, I hold my hands up when I confess. I would I would be very much of the opinion that The Frames are uh, probably one of my favourite bands. Tough crowd here in this room. But um, <laughs> again, I like when, when Dance the Devil came out, I wouldn't have heard it in the year that it came out. Um, the first Frames album that I heard would have been For the Birds, which was in 2001. And then I loved that so much that I you know went back to uh, back to listen to their previous stuff. Obviously, Fitzcarraldo was 95 and then Dance the Devil, which is the one that we've all listened to now. Um I think when listening to the frames and in particular when listening to Dance the Devil as a as a body of work um I love the way the album is structured but also a big part of the draw for the frames for me is their live setting and a lot of my favorite songs and I've seen them god knows how many times now I'm not one of those you know religious experience fans who's been there since if they were busking on the street or whatever since I've been old enough to allow to go to their shows but um you know songs like like Stars Are Underground is just such a cracker of a song live that when you actually listen to it as part of the album again, it just brings that kind of energy and that grow that I have for the frames out again. And one of my favourite songs of theirs is Seven Day Mile, which is situated very nicely on this album. So, Yeah, that's a great track. Like, it's funny. I thought I was going to come in and say a certain thing <laughs> because the thing, that I, the thing that I think is exactly what you said, Dave, I, I love the band Going For It songs. Yeah. I really don't like the really intimate like it feels a little bit like I'm in a, you know I'm in the pub is closed you know everyone's passing the guitar around and whatever reason Glenn is sat beside me and he's singing just into my ear and I can feel his breath on my neck and songs like oh that's creepy yeah <laughs> songs like Star Star are just so you know he's almost whispering he's, he, you know do you find it cloying then I don't I don't of, yeah. here's the thing though I, I really really like the, the like the, the songs that are going for God Bless Mom Great song. I hate saying mom, but anyway, God bless, God bless mom. I say mom, which only really has about three <laughs> lines in it. Like exactly. really, when you think it's of it. a bar, it's an absolute. Like it's really, it's really Pixies influenced. It's really heavy. It's brilliant. I love it, and there's there's tons of column um, on violin in it, and it's it's excellent. Stars Underground, brilliant. Pavement tune, brilliant. Rent days, Rent Day Blues, one of my other favorites. Exceptional, you know. And then there's just lots of little ones like. Um, there's a Meet Me in the Beaches, which, or sorry, Beneath the Beaches, which is, um, was written uh, on a Wikipedia, it says, uh, written for his friend, Jeff Buckley. And um, it's a star star. And there's a couple of songs that I, I kind of, no, it I just isn't, doesn't do it for me. And it's, it's not because they're not good songs. It's because when the band are going for it, I think they're amazing. Um, but when it's kind of, in this album, when it's the kind of Glenn show and he, it's, it's the, it's the poetic. I'm being a poet, Glenn. I, I'm not really slagging him. I don't. I don't. I don't mean that in a slaggy way. I mean the ones where he's really kind of opening up his heart and and kind of, 
you know, kind of, you know, whispering it to you, kind of. I just, I, I can't. And it, it, isn't, it isn't for me. But, and so the album is kind of, it's a bit half and half in that way. But half of it, I was like, this is great. Yeah, you know? I fully agree. Do you think that that's a lyric thing or just him as a songwriter? Because like, I mean, I kind of find like, I agree with you completely, absolutely. And I don't think it's even a slagging thing. I think it's a case of, I don't like this version of the frames when this happens. And it does happen maybe kind of half the time. You can feel the spotlight coming out and the lads kind of take a break or whatever. And then it's yeah. his turn. But I just kind of find that like the stories he's telling, I don't find them that interesting. Well, the one thing about, and it's interesting, like I, I would be someone who's very into lyrics and I kind of analyze lyrics a bit, just internally. Um, like, uh, you know, I was looking at, at the way they were written, like the Plague Monkeys lyrics, I think. We'll come to them later. I think they're exceptional. Yeah. They're ambitious. They're brave. They're, and they leave an intrigue on the table. So you could write the short story from the lines, you know, whereas with some with some frame songs, there's a thing happening where he's he's telling you a story. And then later in the song, he's shouting the lyrics. And the thing is that the lyrics aren't separated enough they're not deep not deep not that they're not deep enough they're not uh intangible enough that they can mean two different things they're kind of the lyrics are kind of st- a little bit more straightforward you know um they're telling you as opposed to as, as opposed to they're telling you something as opposed to building a scene that you 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 build in your head, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I mean, like, there's a simplicity to some great lines, I think, in songs. And with the simplicity comes the subtext. And I love subtext. I love diving into and getting it wrong. I mean, like, I love, like, writing a thousand-word album review. And maybe I'm totally off the point, but, like, it's what I got from it. But, I mean, like, I look at, like, a song like Hold the Moon by the Water Boys and that kind of line of, like, I spoke about wings, you just flew. That says that's you a love that line. That, it's amazing, man. <laughs> it's a book. There's a book in that line. I mean, like, there's so much you can look at. Whereas with this... I admire the conviction and he's clearly got the courage of his convictions but I just when he goes into that mode it's not that I'm like running to turn off the radio I'm just kind of like ah, not really, really really for me Glenn you know, oh, like, just to be clear I don't think, there's, I don't think, I don't think the lyrics are bad no I know at, yeah, but at I mean, all I just think that they're you know basically there's a huge mean of lyrics most lyrics fit into the that's pretty good or that's good or that works you know and then every now and again there's a spike which is an amazing lyric and you know on of the of these albums it was on the plague monkeys album if you know what i mean all the rest were good and they they worked and you know something at a live gig i can imagine i imagine they work really well for a frames gig like you know shouting along to some of it you know um the Stars of under, are Underground is an absolute belter. Like song, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like there's some absolute belters here. And I think you like the album more than you're... No, as, because, as you're going on, no, you go, this is song is... I actually <laughs> really like this one, and I like that one. No, but the point is, is I, I think that half of the album I really like, like much more than I thought, and half of the album, I'm just, I'm, it's just not for me. And I, that's a funny thing. I think it's quite... I like the versatility of it. I think that they do balance it out. It hangs together very well as an album. And I think this, this the quieter, more reflective moments. Like... I'm going to make a confession here that lyrics aren't that as important to me maybe as they are to you two. That if they... As a huge R.E.M. fan, early R.E.M., pushes glasses up nose, by the way. this is. <laughs> but I think I had my heart broken. I was a devotee of R.E.M. and then I got a book of their lyrics and it's utter bollocks for a lot, for a lot of it. But it didn't... It didn't stop me from enjoying the songs as much. You know, I kind of would go along like a Dr. Zeus poem that Michael Sight would go into. So I, I think I've lost... At that time, anyway. I mean, great lyrics are very important. I'm not denying the great lyricists of our time that they've got a power, but it didn't prevent me. I didn't get to it in that level, maybe. I just would listen to the song as a, as a whole package. And I think, for the most part, the most most of the songs on this album work. And I think that it's a more complete album than maybe you're giving it a... 
Yeah, it, it feels like there's a really nice contrast with yeah. those songs, like the way it kind of comes up and down. And I know that you're kind of saying when he's like singing in your ear almost, but I think that's quite nice. It's like a little bit of respite from kind of some of the heavier parts in the album. So I did kind of like that. It's balanced very well, I think. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm I'm just saying what I think. The other the other thing about it is, is that one of the one of the better songs on it, Pavement Tune, is a brilliant song, and I, I, I get I'm a bit frustrated by it because it is so incredibly similar to uh, Bobby Pulls a Wilson song called For the Love of Cork and um, Bobby Pulls a Wilson is the kind of band that I'm sure people are going who are Bobby Pulls a Wilson and they have an incredible song that just happens to sound uh, spectrally like a pavement tune now I'm not accusing anyone of everything but it's just it is just mad and so I went back and listened to, to the Bobby Pulls a Wilson song and it's brilliant so if anyone's interested go and look it up <laughs> uh, as a fellow new metal kid Elaine I know you must appreciate some of the down-tuned bass on this yeah record. yeah it was kind of surprising I yeah, was, was not expecting it? that at all no it came honest. out of nowhere and I was like that sounds gorgeous where yeah. did that come from which is pretty cool because I think obviously, um, you know, it being their third album or whatever, you can kind of tell that they were quite settled at that point and were happy enough to make whatever music they wanted to make, which is kind of a nice place to be in for a band. I just think on this album as a whole, personally, and in the in the you know in in the in the context of why we're look, re- revisiting these years and looking back at what al- Irish albums were produced in these years, the frames for me were the band that at the earliest point made me pay attention to. Irish music, current Irish music, and f- to go on and actively seek out other singer-songwriters bands because of them. So that's why I kind of hold this one in quite special regard because, you know, going on to subsequent years, like in getting into like David Kitt and Bell X1 and Gemma Hayes and that kind of stuff. Um, at the time, I was listening to an awful lot of pop music, hip-hop music, stuff like that, because I didn't know, necessarily know where to source Irish music or have the money to do so and it wasn't like you were hearing vast amounts of it on the radio either so hearing hearing the frames for the first time totally changed my perspective on Irish music Wow Okay that's an admirable sentiment I will not argue it Let's have a listen to the Frank and Walters see what they were up to Today, from Beauty Becomes More Than Life, Ed, tell us all about it. Uh, full disclosure, I'm from Cork, but this is not informing uh, my <laughs> I'm from Cork, my decision to uh, look this pick this of the five albums, The Franklin Walters, Beauty Becomes More Than Life, is the third album. And they only actually, to my surprise, released three albums in the 90s. Uh, they were a big part of my childhood growing up in Cork, of course. And I think t- to this day, one of the great and maybe possibly underrated bands that this country has produced again. I'm trying not to display my bias, but I genuinely think they're a wonderfully, a wonderful, wonderful great, great band. So they had uh, Trains, Boats, and Planes as their debut album. That's that set the scene for the band as a kind of slightly almost cartoonish uh, presence. You know, Paul with the hair, and they were on top of the pops after all. And this is not a song. And they had a certain they kind of fitted into the kind of Brit pop. Like again, to go back to the kind of slightly comic. Uh, presence and I think then people will say Grand Parade is their favourite Frank and Walters record but similar enough maybe to what we just discussed there with the frames at the end of the 90s things hadn't quite taken off for them uh, hadn't really maybe quite worked even with the record labels that Edwin Collins on board of course and I think they found themselves in New York at one stage and 
I think they just said, fuck this. And they threw off the shackles here. And this is almost an album about it's a lot of love songs here, a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger, not maybe traits or adjectives you'd associate with the Franco Walters. When you say Franco Walters, you're supposed to have a smile on your face and you're supposed to bop your head side to side and it's all very summery. But Paul and Ashley and the boys here have, I think, produced some uh, some very dark, angry and very bitter songs, which is another thing, again, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes some of the best albums from bands and singers come out of a place of frustration and anger. And I, I, th- I find that the case here with the Franks, that some of the stuff, the lyrics on here, and I think, you know, while, while Paul mightn't have the most technically uh, proficient voice, he really not the best singer, but he has what most singers don't have. He's, you know, he's got sincerity and he means every word he sings. And I think that, and the lyrics here, he's obviously written himself. They're in a, they're in a dark place here. And I think they've just, again, they've, they've thrown off the coat that they'd woven themselves from the previous couple of albums and the expectation of the Franks being a certain way. And they would just hold themselves up for a few few months and went, let's just experiment. Let's just, this could be the end of things for us. I think they were kind of at the stage where they were on the verge of giving up. And I think that this is the album, which thankfully isn't uh, their swan song, but they were going to go out with a bang. And uh, to my mind, they really did, yeah. I mean, we've talked with Frank Wallace before on the show, and as you say, they're kind of happy-go-lucky. At least that's the go-to. Mm. You know, you picture the kind of uniform that they wear and everything. Of course, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, hearing this for the first time, where you kind of you, you mentioned the heartbreak that you had with OEM when you read the lyrics. I mean, like this is such a sea change. So, were you yeah, there? exactly. I think I was surprised. I remember it coming out at the time. Uh, I was twenty-three at the time. I just started working today FM, so I was very busy, and I just found out my girlfriend was pregnant that that year as well. So that year was kind of. Uh, tattooed in my brain for many reasons two life-changing moments and I remember listening to this album quite a lot at the time and I hadn't gone back to it since so again very grateful for this opportunity to go back um, and it, similar to the frames it's a perfectly pitched and curated album from one to I think there's 12 tracks in the album is there more than 12? No no I was going to say perfectly pitched I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight you on that <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh, sorry, I thought I'd made a mistake, factually. Oh, no, no. And take two. So of the 12 tracks on the album, I think they're all, you know, lined up beautifully. And I think it kind of shows the Franks at their best, angriest uh, and darkest. I think the opening track, Plenty of Times, again, is on sure footing. It's kind of a happy-go-lucky, jaunty tune. But they get quite experimental. The track 730 is essentially a dance track, you know, and a lot of influence here from U2, I think, or vice versa. I don't know which way it went at that time, but... You could hear echoes of um, lemon in here and, and things like that. So it's great to see them kind of branching out a little bit from their kind of slightly narrow fur that they'd built for themselves over the previous eight years. Uh, but I could hear a lot of the Smiths, of course, the people, as we were mentioning as well, that I suppose that time to, time we said goodnight is Paul had just gone through a breakup in a relationship. And this is his uh, maybe revenge, as it were, and it's not something you would again associate with the Franks having this kind of very bitter and bittersweet side to them, and it really, really works very, very well. There's a touch of whipping boy off some of this record as well, I think. I was actually I, wondering I was, when I was listening to it. I was wondering, was there a breakup just happened beforehand? Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff about. You see, it, he's a very sensitive lyricist. It's, yeah. it's he often writes writes quite directly lyr- lyrically, um, and the thing about direct lyrics is sometimes they can just pass you by because they are just you're just saying a thing I feel sad and I hope that I don't feel sad tomorrow you know whatever if it's just something like that it kind of just doesn't catch you but the other thing if they're really if they're well written direct lyrics sometimes 
something that you've heard before catches on you in, in a way that hadn't before. And there's a, the song uh, today says, I think that I'm not going to get the lyric right, but it's something like, I hope that I will always love you, you know? Uh, no, I hope that I'll always be in love with you. Yeah. And I thought, I was thinking that he's not saying, I hope that we're always in love. He's saying that I hope that I always feel that I am in love. You know what I mean? I, I was thinking that's a, a different way of saying something that's been said a lot. I think that song is about their career. Okay. And I, 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 this is me again, mm. spitballing with no information from the band at all or anything like that. But having listened to the lyrics, lyrics over and over again, they have another great line that in, it's not particularly, um, you know, powerful. And it's when you see it written down on the page. But when Paul sings, it's never coming back again. It's never going to be the same. And he sings it with such heartbreaking mm. uh, emotion. And I think, again, just see where they were positioned in their career and emotionally at the time. I think you could say, if you if you wanted to drill down into it, for want of a better expression, that they're talking about their music career here, that if you listen to it with those ears on, I think it's a love song to the music that they produced and how things didn't work out. And uh, he sings it beautifully, and that's my favourite song on the record by, yeah, by a country man. No song. one could write a chorus like the Frank Walters. Like, they build up to a chorus... And it just kind of, you can feel it coming. Yeah, they're you know, very good at that. Yeah, you know, and it's like you've dropped the pill, and you can just feel it coming. <laughs> it's gonna any, any minute, any minute now. And next thing, it just it just soars. They're one of the best chorus writers I, I've I've heard in Irish music, and it's writ large here again. Some and today especially, I think is probably the best song. And then you've got, um, what's the one? Oh, Castaway. I like to Castaway as well. It's kind of pre Beirut. Beirut. Yeah, that was a slightly different one on the album, and that kind of four bar, the way the ch- changes are, is quite classic. Again, kind of direct, and, and I don't know if that works as well as some, like, for example, they have the pop stuff, which is, you know, plen- plenty times, which is the opening mm. track, and they have something happened to me, obviously. With that wah wah guitar at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, so it's all like they have that all going, and then it sounds, a lot of the rest of the album sounds like the band kind of trying to develop or. or Going, going for just, just, just doing things differently, you know. And um, the song "Stop" and the song "Until the End" and the song "Seven Thirty um, are all very, you know, different sounds for them. You know, it, it feels like it, like you said, throwing off the shackles. It feels like they're going for it. it doesn't always work. I don't, I don't. I wouldn't be. Well, I mean, the middle of the album is. Let me know. Again, I've I've heard the album maybe eight nine times the last week, or two, and I, I still can't. It hasn't stuck with me at all. So I mean, there is some filler in here. Yeah, that's the only thing. The yeah. only thing is that there's a little bit of filler, um, and as a result, I think it affects. Uh, y- you know, there's some great songs in this. Absolutely, I totally agree. That song today is just exceptional. I think, you know, something happened to me is really, really good as well. But they stand out a lot. You know, there's a there's a couple of these albums again, a little bit of filler on them, but this one. You know, there's that song 7.30 and you said it was like a dance song. I was like, you know, it sounded like they just, it was a song maybe that wasn't working. And they just it's said, a little indulgent. I'll, I'll, but I was, I'll but that's that, right, yeah. the start, just as the album is kind of going, I think mm. it's a four track or something. It's like, already I'm I'm switched off from that, you know. And then you get into the middle of the album and it has Today and Something Happened to Me and The Time We Say Goodnight. And, um, uh, you know, that's just exceptional, you know, and, uh, like if uh, I just I would just jink it around a little bit. But I think it's a really strong album. I think I, I agree with you. Yeah. And it finishes beautifully with uh, Until the End. And again, to maybe bolster my own half-baked uh, take on the album being an album about them themselves and their career. You know, it's, it's a farewell track, not just to the album, I think, but it's almost as if you can hear them saying, again, it's positioned as a relationship. You're saying goodbye to your girlfriend or... But I kind of feel that it's them saying, that's it, lads. You know, and that for me, 
um, if I'd heard it at the time, which I did, and I didn't pick up on it, uh, because I'm stupid. <laughs> uh, but I think that that was them going. as he faced, Literally faced towards the end, and you can see the three of them, or four of them, just kind of walking away, and it almost brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> but I just loved it. I loved it. I think it hangs together very well, and it, to me, it's their best album. To pick up on your subtext, though, and to dive right in, because I said I, I do love to do that. I mean, is it a case of... Are they a band that are tagged with the dreaded underrated? Uh, I think they're they're beloved because that usually translates to you know never played the big shows. No, I think like. that I mean I think that there's all there's awful thing they have in England is like national treasure. We don't have national treasures here, but there's a certain kind of condescension that goes on with the Franks that yeah, I think there is. Uh, they're they're beloved and they're the kind of band you kind of hook under your your armpit and ruffle their heads and go ah they're likable you know. But I think there's more to them than that. And I think what they do is deceptively clever. And like, even after all, or some of their bigger hits, they're proper good indie pop songs. And that's the hardest thing is to get a good melody uh, into a song. And they'll always, even at their darker, more rockier moments on this album, not their genius, but their their greatness to me is they'll you'll, they'll still weave in the old grey whistle test in the chorus, and you can hum it. And that to me is a sign of a good band. I'm the, I'm that guy. I'm afraid I have to. That's the mel- your to, melody is the king. But I, I just think, have to yeah, be able to hear is, it and hum it. It's the most important thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can have an incredible lyrics, but if the melody in the song is good, you're not going to exactly. like it. Yeah, but yeah. you can have an amazing melody and average lyrics, and the song can be amazing. They you just know, have so, this way of yeah. even just weaving it with one thread through the song, and you go, I, I can hear it. And even if they're rocking out, or as you say, experimenting in like 7.30 here, there's somehow, even in the ether, there's, oh, there's a song there. I can hear it. Yeah, I kind of wanted to hear the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know in that particular track, maybe not a good example, but... That impression of the, the Frank Wallace that Dave mentioned is one that I certainly had um, and I've never actually made a real effort to kind of get to know them, I guess. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas from our list of five, um, this would be the album that I would actually take away and actually want to really listen mm. to a lot um, because it really took me by surprise. I had this impression of them, which made me never actively want to listen to their albums in full as such. But, yeah. uh, but this one was a really... Really pleasant surprise for me. I yeah, say. I loved it. And def- of all the five, not just because I chose it, but uh, I think the frames and this are ones I'm going to be throwing on in the care. Uh, it's a you know, it's a good driving album because it gets you from A to B. It's kind of a little journey in itself. But uh, again, it's great for them. I think brave move from them. I think to kind of dispel that they're almost like the Irish monkeys. They kind of have this kind of uh, again to go back to it, a cartoonish presence, and people don't take them that seriously. I think over the years and. That's the thing. I yeah. mean, like, I think anytime we talk about them on the show, here we always tend to be like, "Oh, they're so versatile." And I can only imagine them listening to the show and being like, "Where the fuck were you?" Like, Bob yeah. when we needed you. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I was listening to Limp Bizkit, guys. I'm sorry. Like, you know, it's like it's your fault. Ah, it is. It's it's entirely my fault. But up next, an album that's Kieran's fault this week. This is the Prayer Boat. Have a listen. off Police Chanel I'm sure I pronounced it wrong but what can you do that was saved Kier uh, yeah so um, this is uh, Police Chanel I think uh, by the prayer boat which is um, two brothers Emma Tinley and Patrick Tinley um, and uh, it's a four piece but um, it, it, they seem to 
move around the uh, the lineup, and it had a very sad line in Wikipedia. It says the band do not see each other anymore. I yeah, like, I saw that. Yeah. I was like, why did you put that in? <laughs> who who, who fact checked? Well, apart that? from that, this is apart from the brothers, obviously, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's random. Yeah, at funerals and weddings. Even then, but like you know, what I mean, it's not like you know, who's the the guy from Wikipedia who has to go and ch- fact check this? Must have been really sad, you know, calling around to their houses, oh, no. checking their phone history. You guys, but um, I think it's uh, uh it's their second album. Um, it, it, it was released. Their first album was released in 1991. Oceanic Feeling. What a name, by the way. Oceanic, Oceanic Feeling. Oceanic yeah. Feeling. Well, <laughs> if you it's like as 90s as it gets. But yeah, so that 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 was 91. And I think um, from what I could read through various interviews and, and sites and stuff, they spent a bit of time kind of um, uh, kind of selling the band a little bit. I think there was a lot of ambition there for what they were doing. Um, they released a lot, a lot of EPs in the in the meantime, and a lot of this album came out around 1995. Um, 1996 um, two tracks came out in the Dark Green EP I think there was a saved single as well um, and you know and then there was a, um, a mini album release I think year before two years before so there was lots of the songs that existed they were kind of I don't know I think they'd, they'd gone to the States and tried uh, I think it seems like Emma Tinley went on his own um, to the States and, and played around um, you know New York and, and South West and stuff like that and to try and get interest up and that sounds like a, a tough thing. But the album, anyway, he came back re-energised and this album was recorded uh, um, and released in 1999. Um, I think it's really warm. I think it's really I think it's really well crafted. You can hear the craft throughout it. Um, I think it's I think it's emotional. I think it's honest. And I think in, in some in, in a strange way I put this album on and I I just Whatever it was about it, I just it just I just loved it. It's like the whole album has an atmosphere, and I love albums that do that. And the entire thing, I just from the start, I was really really into it. Um, as I say, recorded again like ninety five, ninety six, a, a lot of it, and there is definitely an influence of the Bends. I think I think there's an influence of Jeff Buckley, and I think you can you can trace a line from it to kind of Damien Rice as well, that kind of thing, and the singer songwriter thing that kind of you know. Um, kind of uh, blighted the land in the in early 2000s but um, yeah it's an exceptional album uh, the, the title track Police Chanel um, the song Dark Green and um, there's a song called It Hurts to Lose You and I think I think it's the best album on the list I think it's the best album of the year and I think it's one of my favourite discoveries that I've made musically in the last, what are you laughing at? <laughs> that, that's the show, guys. <laughs> Thanks no, for coming. I'm, I'm, that's I'm, a wrap. I'm, 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 I'm slightly joking, but I, I, I think I, I was really, really delighted. You know, the reason that like you know we're doing the show is to discover stuff. I think, and I, I, I really loved it. I put it on, and I just it just accompanied me for the last kind of two weeks, and I love it. It accompanied me today while I was cleaning my kitchen, uh, giving it a real deep scrub. And I have, have to, say, to clean their kitchen. You have to clean your kitchen. Like, it's tough. It's tough work. You have to clean your kitchen. I put the elbow grease in, and I did. And this was accompanying me in the background, and I have to say, it was a, a great companion to such hard, intensive labour. Because it really was. The word I was going to use, I said off my before the show, there was a word I was going to use to describe this record, and we were kind of saying, is it a negative word? I think it is, but I don't mean it in a negative way, but... The word earnest, which you actually used earlier oh, no. uh, about something else. I stepped on your earnest. Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. Uh, like, stepping on the earnest. I like it. Uh, oh. But yeah, I, I was like, this is a fucking earnest record, isn't it? Jesus. This guy's it is got, an earnest this, record. This guy's got a lot to share. Uh, but I but like it, that. Didn't, it didn't grate on me. That, no, no, it didn't grate on me either. Things being overly earnest. Uh, usually, I know, as Ed mentioned, the Irish thing. But this didn't. I just believed. I believed every word. I think he's got an exceptional voice. Well, the Irish independent 
quoted, described him as uh, possesses a range that would make opera singers weep. I bet you loved that, didn't he? I'd say, I'd say you read that and he was like, yeah, that, that, that's it. Now, you mentioned, <laughs> did, you, did you mention Jeff Buckley? Yeah, he's, I think there's a... There's, he's, there's, he's compared to Jeff Buckley, Tom York, Chris Martin, Fran Healy of Travis. Like, like As you say, it's that kind of turn-of-the-century kind of, you know, male well, they were, I mean, singer-songwriter thing. When he was being re- that's when the album was being reviewed. Oh, of course, yeah. Like, you can't help they make they were the touchstones. It's, yeah, it's one of those journalism things. I apologize. Full for disclosure, I liked the first Travis album. What was the first Travis album? Was the one with the, All I Want to Do? The Invisible Band or something, whatever it was called. I can't remember. I liked early Travis. I want to get that off my chest. I've been waiting 20 years. The Invisible Band was the third album with Nigel Godrich, and that's a great album. Turn's yeah. a really good song. Turn's a really good song. It's a great oh, song. Yeah. Some beautiful tunes. Anyway, sorry. Album. Still I, going, I believe. I digress. I think the prayer boat for me were always spoken about in hushed, reverential corners. They were almost like a mythical band. I remember the time when the frames were kind of like this beloved monster kind of taking up everyone's attention and affection that people would speak about. Them. Yeah, but it's the prayer boat. <laughs> and um, I can see why. Now, I, I absolutely loved it. It's, it's, it's all it's all Tinley's voice. Uh, it is beautiful, and the production really brings it to the fore. Without, uh, as I think, foregoing, there's a lot of twelve strings. There's a lot of orchestration on this, and it all balances and works beautifully together. There's, like I love Dead Flowers. It's probably my favorite track. Saved is probably the best. Probably the, the hit is probably saved. I suppose as such. Yeah. Uh, but there's a bonus track uh, after "In My Arms," which is uh, falsetto, um, and it's it's gorgeous. It's very short. It's like two two minutes long, and it's a gorgeous little song. I think it's an adapt adaptation of a song that was released again in kind of '95 or whatever. But uh, like, I don't know. I I just I just I, I liked it, and I you know sometimes when when I'm doing this. Um, I have it on in the house and I'm just pottering around or I'm out for a walk or I'm doing whatever. But when I have it on the house, sometimes, you know, my wife will come in and go, turn that shite off. <laughs> but whatever it is, I'm trying to... Well, she doesn't say turn. She's she's very nice. But she might kind of go, that's a little bit loud. And I'll go, oh, sorry. But she came in and she was like, turn that up. This is excellent. <laughs> yeah. Crank it. You know, and she was like, I need, I feel like the feeling to clean it. This album made some babies back in 99. You just I'd know that it, it uh, provided a soundtrack to many of the smooch sessions. And I don't mean to demean it by saying that, but it is a very lush... Uh, it is very heartbreaking in parts, but I just love the production on this. And again, to go back to his voices. It is gorgeously stunning. engineered. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful to listen to. I think soon the stars will steer me is a really great one as well. I think I think one thing about this is of all the versions that came after it and before it of Ernest singer songwriter. I know it's a band, but singer songwriter. Uh, you know that style. I think this is one of the best representations of it. I, I don't like. I don't find myself liking a lot of this kind of music. But I really like this, and I guess I was surprised by it. Um, I think if someone described what the album is like, I would go, well, oh, not listen to that. That's the thing, and I mean, like, uh, Elaine, not to put you on the spot or anything, but your recent EP, The Colour of the Night, we talked about it on No Encore before, it's excellent, but a lot of it is very confessional, and it's you know it's, it's you kind of, like, really stepping up and putting yourself out there. And I wonder, do I, as a journalist, like, just being like, do I take it for granted, like, when someone kind of really commits and kind of puts himself out there as, as he does with this record. I mean, like, I guess it's probably a lot more difficult for a musician to actually release this kind of stuff than it is for me to just go, ah, it's a bit emotional, you know? I've often kind I of I think wondered. so, but then you kind of have a stronger connection to the music, which mm. is pretty amazing for yourself as well, I guess. Like, I really like this album as well. I think more than all of the other albums that I listened to, it kind of drew me in straight away, which I just thought that his voice is just gorgeous. It kind of reminded me of Weaker Corners almost. Yeah, it so. reminded me a little bit of Weaker Corners, yeah. Yeah, but um, I think Police Chanel, from, if I'm probably saying that completely wrong, Nobody like, knows. we decided, <laughs> okay. Honestly. Um, was probably my favourite track on that. I really liked it. I got a bit of James, a bit of Tim Booth in there as well. That's, uh, that is the James lead singer, isn't it? Tim Booth, yeah. yeah. 
because I like, like, my, like me some James and there was some, some of the tracks there I think they were kind of veering towards that which is never a bad thing I, I'm always very aware of going Yeah, yeah it sounds a bit I know I think that it's maybe doing it to disservice but like Elaine says I think it's aged very well it hasn't aged at all actually I think, I that, think it has aged really well as and, well and um, it could have been released last year sometimes when you look back on an album the um, I think the, the places where it ages are the things that they're doing that aren't natural if you know what I mean it's like what they're trying to do to fit into zeitgeist or what they're trying to do to add a weird sound in the stuff that lasts is the stuff where you're most honest and most being yourself and so then I would assume because it hasn't aged it's them being at their most honest and being their most themselves people online people online the little sprites who write things um, <laughs> Jesus where are you going with this <laughs> they, D- Dave I mean, they, is one such sprite I believe yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but they say that you know this is this is them at their peak of their powers and I, I just I, I, it just feels like that, yeah I mean it's a great album and um, the, the, it's funny it was the, the track listing was readjusted for the 10 year anniversary in 2009 and I was kind of like he was doing Kanye West before Kanye West did Kanye West yeah but I was kind of like you know I didn't think it worked as well because it made it quite front loaded and I was thinking just the way it was was great you know I just don't I mean, the, 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 the rejigging of things to to put the singles up the top now I just the way the, the version that's on online for the 1999 version is, is excellent I mean, is there an element we've had when Jen Gannon was on the show before we talked about Damien Rice, I think it was, and she was kind of saying, like, after we were all kind of reverential about it, like the lads in the room were like, oh, he really captures the emotions. She was like, give me a fucking break. <laughs> like, is there an element of this guy's going too far? Like, what do you think, Elaine? Um, my impression of this album was, I now, this was probably the one I had the least amount of time with because, as you said, it was Kira, Kieran's one before. It wasn't on my original list, but... um. <laughs> I could have heard tracks off this album and if you had told me that they were off the soundtrack to Dawson's Creek or some late 90s movie, I would would have just said, okay, cool, yeah. I'm not saying I don't like it. It just, it, it could have been from anywhere. That that was my initial take on it, but so you're, disclaimer: sorry, just, you're, you're, is, is, is it a, a generic thing that you're thinking? Yes, okay. um, not that I didn't like it. I have not, I, and that's the disclaimer. I haven't you spent that much time with it. He's actually crying, and I don't want to make you cry, but um, but that was kind of you know. I think that the, I think the one thing that I, I did think about this album was that it's not breaking any. You know, th- this isn't OK Computer. This isn't like going to be written about how it, it is very thickly kind of laced with the DNA of, of all that kind of beautiful, emotional, warm, you know, that kind of thing. It is that. It's just a good version of it, I think. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there are a lot of things that would sound like it. I was just on, on, the, on the train on the way in, uh, just flicking through Spotify, and it kept bringing me to Delamitri, Delamitri tracks. And I was like, like, fucking Delamitri. <laughs> you know, but like, I, the fact that anyone could think that they sound like that shows that maybe th- there is, I suppose, a, a an openness to the sound. You know, you could change the, take the vocalist out maybe, and then put another vocalist in, and it, maybe you could put you know, a lot of different vocalists. Then again, yeah. Spotify algorithms are ridiculous at times. <laughs> yeah, like, well, you like listening to this record, so why don't you listen to this? Like, really? Like, they're not even from the same, like, not even the same yeah. league. You're or like anything. Nine Inch Nails? Yeah. <laughs> Go listen to Britney Spears, which, you know, is also good. But, uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to bring you down a little bit here. I felt you were, like, kind of in the clouds a little bit there, so thanks, Elaine. Appreciate no that. And we'll move on. <laughs> well played. To our, next, <laughs> to our next record. This is The Four of Us, and this is from Classified Personal. I like your style But your 
That's volatile. And is it a volatile album, Elaine? Um, it's certainly not a volatile album. You can't really get more easy listening than this album, I would say. Um, I saw this on the original list and I decided not to go for albums that I already knew, but instead ones that I didn't know at all or indeed from bands that I would perceive to be, to me, one hit wonders. The only four of us song that I knew was, of course, Mary. And so I decided to check out this album and... Um, and see what I made of it. And I actually ended up really enjoying it. Like it's it's very laid back. It's heavily acoustic. Um, one thing I really like in in uh, vocally is when someone sings in their native tongue. Yeah, you can hear an accent yeah. shining through. Yeah. Like say one of my one of my favourite vocalists is Irish vocalist is Duke Special. I oh, because yeah. he sings in his accent. Yeah, it's terrific. And there is an element of of this from from the four of us hailing from, from County Down. And um I suppose what 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 grabbed me about this album was, again, much like the Frank Walters, I had a perception of a band that I'd never actually properly listened to. And because I wasn't actively listening to them at the time, like I was 14 when this album came out, I was probably still rejoicing at Man United winning the Champions League oh, yeah, in between absolutely. playing Metal Gear Solid. Like I yes. wasn't a cool kid, <laughs> like I wasn't a cool ever. teenager. Um, so it was just really nice to revisit it in that way and just listen to a band that I literally knew nothing about. And then looking through their, um, you know, through their, their back catalogue further back and, you know, how they had been signed to a major label and how that had fallen through. And then it was a good six or seven years before this was released then in 99 that they'd had quite big, they'd had quite big success, like they'd broken the UK charts and stuff like that. So um, this was obviously their recenter piece and... Um, you know, it's it's a very laid back listen. It's the kind of thing you could throw on on a Sunday morning, whilst reading the paper and having a coffee, and just happily have yeah. it sit there in the background. Um, but um, but yeah, that was my my take on it. I think that's fair, and I mean, like, I as well. I mean, like growing up in Drogheda, like kind of seeing posters for bands that would occasionally come to town. It seemed like the four of us were in were in Drogheda every week. I'm sure they weren't. People just weren't taking down the posters. But I had this thing of like knowing what they look like, knowing their name, knowing something about them, but not quite ever really connecting with it. And then I found myself when I did, I was like, well, this is just kind of easy listening. And I don't mean that in like a really disparaging way, but like I always struggle with that style of music, that kind of, you know, whether it's not that they're direct comparisons, but like, you know, Nora Jones, Katie Melly, that kind of thing where you're like, how could anybody ever really get terribly passionate about this? I mean, I know that a lot of people just want something to listen to that isn't too challenging, like not the vast majority of course but like some people just want that kind of thing and that's cool there's something for everybody but like I, I mean like I didn't struggle with this record because you couldn't struggle with this record it is enjoyable it is pleasant but I struggle with the idea of not quite a lack of ambition or imagination but is there a lack of ambition or imagination here with this band I mean like especially with the, the time period as you say like you know like coming from you know the highs and then crashing a little bit and kind of picking themselves back up taking time to do it and then the end result is good album well I, I i don't think that's actually it's actually an interesting story um you know the four of us obviously they very big with mary and all the rest and um so they got i think they got dropped in i think 94 
and they went to record a rock album, like a really, you know, different sound, an album called Amplifier. Um, they spent three years recording it and writing it. They released two singles for it. And in 97, they scrapped it. And like, that just, that was where the album was supposed to be and then that didn't exist. So then they went back, started completely from scratch and they have made a conscious decision here, I think, to do something that isn't that. He said in an in interview, interview, I don't want to see another electric, uh, 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 distorted, I don't want to see another distorted guitar, you know, for years or whatever. And they came out and they, I think they deliberately wrote a, a more gentle, a more laid back acoustic album. You know, they were down to a three piece here. Um, uh, the, the, the Murphy Brothers, Brennan and Declan, and with Peter uh, McKinney on drums. So there was a line of change as well. And I think you can hear that it's just, it's they just brought it sort of back to basics, I think. You know, like this is, I think this is 14 tracks. I mean, like. It could have been 11, I like, think. Mm-hmm. Could, yeah. It yeah. could have been nine, yeah. you know. And uh, it's just that thing of like being hard on yourself, you know, about, I don't know. It's It's sometimes, it's like. I just want them to be the best version of themselves and I feel like that would be really, really good. The best of the, the four of us, I assume, is an excellent album. But this just is a, just, it's just a little bit too much filler for me. There is. I agree on the track listing thing. Like, it is 14 songs long. It could have easily been 10 or 11 and say, mm-hmm. right, keep those three for B-sides of the singles and it would have felt like a more... A tighter album. Yeah, a tighter yeah. album. They have a line here that goes, former punk with young son will reply to everyone and you're going, ah, I can see that man now. <laughs> You know, he's in a, a man of a certain age, maybe single mm. father, used to be a punk, and he's lonely, and that's just maybe one, two, three, nine words. And mm. like, I think they, when they're when they're on form in that regard, like an adventurous divorcee, a youthful of forty-three, that you're going, oh, you know, they're telling stories there, and I think that again, as Elaine was saying, that it's slightly bloated, and the tempo of the album really doesn't kick into maybe third gear enough for it to be more interesting, any more interesting. But again, it is. So listenable, and it, it is. You yeah, have to be careful with easy listening that yeah, it's a it's pejorative, funny, it? yeah. but this, it's hard to do easy listening and to still engage you and find it. But the only thing about easy listening is it's just often passive listening, so it just doesn't go in, it just doesn't, it doesn't hook on to you. you There's know? room for that, though. I think, I think, no, that, there is absolutely room yeah. for that, but I still think that it is. You, you can still say that it's. I was talking about this before. Uh, um, Michael Maloney was on another show, and he's like, "What's wrong? Oh, that's terrible! He wrote a song that everyone kind of likes. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. you know." But I think that's, and while uh, that is true, that is kind of a silly thing to be kind of saying. Why did you write this song? That it's. I think that they, at their best, I think they're excellent. But for me, there's a lot of this which is just good you know kind of way we and talked uh, about that Van Morrison record on that yeah. episode and I, I was kind of it's saying weird, I was going to say what you're saying now and you're like Dave you're <laughs> cop on you're like like you're just saying like yeah it's grand and like you're, you're like that's not good enough so and I yeah. wonder like you know I, like is it disheartening that they had this new path and then they were like no no fuck it no don't do that let's just go back to their comfort zone like I don't know if them trying to be Muse circa 99 a la maybe JJ72 would have worked well, well, Dave, Dave, Dave uh, sorry, Dan Hegarty on 2FM it says that the album that they didn't release is excellent. Okay. The Amplified album. So we don't know. That's so frustrating, though. It is frustrating, yeah. Like, and he played, I think he played um, some of the tracks on a show. I, I found it online. Uh, yeah, the, the links didn't work, unfortunately, because they've obviously been taken down. But he had put up, you know, I think maybe five years ago, there was a show where he had played songs from that album, you know. And I think that's, that's kind of... Is it is it better that it exists in my head as this amazing album that blows everyone's <laughs> minds, and that I don't get to the hear? Great but last Irish album. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But like, look, I mean, the four of us are like they they have an exceptional way of melody. They obviously know how to write a tune. It's just that 
this has just got too much filler on it as an album, which is a weird thing to say because the best songs are great. Like uh, as you said, Ed, and, and as I say, the, f- the opening, the lyrics in the opening song, "One More Shot," are brilliant. They're really evocative. They're excellent. When they work, they work. But a lot of times, it feels a little bit like like they could do. You you could you know they could ramp it up a notch and go a bit weirder, go a bit more interesting, and it would have been uh, the would you know just the ones that work put them on. You know, yeah, I think that's a a perfect summary. Like I mean, like. I find that with whether it's a film or whether it's a TV show or an album, coming away from it kind of being in the middle is always the worst place to be. Like if something is going to be spectacularly terrible, you know, at least you can talk about it and, you know, kind of riff off it and even kind of, you know, without completely destroying everyone involved, it can be like, well, this was just such a disaster. Like, like it's fascinating. And with something that's phenomenal or even very, very good, you're like, oh, cool. You get those spikes Somewhere in the middle. I mean, you're just kind of like... It ah. is a bit safe, I think. Is the, yeah, say, it really is. Safe is, is a good word. Why didn't I use that word five minutes ago? <laughs> <laughs> you would have saved us a lot of time. <laughs> well, edit it down to just you saying safe. <laughs> safe, mate. It sounds like Ed Smith there briefly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually really like this one, but I, I did just think that it was too long. Mm. But I wonder if that's just like a kind of a more old school album thing where, you know, you were kind of putting your whole thing into the, doing an album and making a really impressive work of art or whatever and maybe that you felt that you had to put 14 songs on your album. Like, I don't think that exists anymore in the same way. Well, that art form, I think, of bookending an album uh, long before I make that call, it's the final song on this album and it finishes with a lovely kind of flourish. Mm. I'm making a gesture here you can't see. <laughs> but I'm on a stage, I'm in a, I'm in a circus or something. Anyway, but I'm just doing the kind of end of show <laughs> gesture. Get down off the and chair. And it kind of finishes with a kind of a lovely elegant way I'm going you can just almost hear the curtains just closing and the album is over and that again it's the same with the Franks they finish with a lovely fade out and that's it uh, and that maybe art form has has been lost I um, think so yeah Well, the, the, people the, can't listen to albums anymore uh, the art of listening to the album and making them is has, has been eroded to the point of um, well I depression. think very commercial albums are just like processions of singles now mm. I mean one of the big things they were talking about the um, that Spotify has changed they said that it hasn't actually changed people still release albums you know they still release content or whatever you know they're calling it now mm-hmm. but one of the big things is that it's less, there's less filler and there's less intros and uh, the songs are shorter mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know there was a thing that happened when, you know, CDs became available or whatever, where suddenly you could have, you know, 90 minutes of music or whatever. So people started to, you know, bloat their albums out because you could have a 15 minute thing at the end, whatever. Um, but yeah, and that's funny. So a lot of these tracks, a lot of these albums have uh, hidden, hidden tracks. tracks. I was just yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. yeah, and hidden tracks obviously <laughs> don't exist uh, anymore either, you know. Uh, some people are still doing it, even though it makes no sense to do it. Like, it's like, yeah, just skip there we go. Six minutes of silence to get to this gem. No, I forgot to turn off my CD. Okay, well, look, let's get to our last album. You mentioned them. This is The Plague Monkeys. The album is The Sunburn Index, and this song is called The Bomb Circle. So much So that's the Plague Monkeys. We had Carol Kyo on the show before. Uh, her vocals tend to be kind of one of the most highlighted things when you read, when you go over old reviews of this band. 
I read the Hot Press review of this, actually, and the score given by Peter Murphy in an excellent review. He gave it 9 out of 12. And I want to say that that wasn't the website like that I archived this getting it wrong. It was just some kind of weird Hot Press glitch. They used to have the two dice. They used to have the two dice. Ah, yeah, that's there we that's go. how yeah. they used to mark it out of. They'd throw two dice and that would be the there rating out of 12. That's incredible. Like, when I worked there, that didn't happen. That, sh- that should have been Wait, happening. So they'd let dice decide. No, no. Th- <laughs> <laughs> One, I loved it. Snake eyes. <laughs> Two. But I liked it, and that's the important thing. Uh, what I really like about this record, though, is it's kind of smart alecky. Like, it has this kind of ability to be kind of, you know, kind of elliptical here and there, but also just very kind of coarse in a weird way, without being, you know, without ever straying into like vulgar pretension. I mean, like, it opens up, and you've got, like, that song, Last Bus. It's an intro. And again, it goes back to what you're saying, Ed, where, like, we don't really do intros anymore. We don't mm. really do outros anymore. And I think it's a very effective way to start it because it takes you in to what they're all about. The Bomb Circle, though, which I played there, like, is the one that I quite like. I, I might like this one the most because it's deceptively simple and almost knowingly duplicitous at the same time. Because it has this weird thing going on where like, it refers to um, what Americans call closure, that line. And that, to me, like, on the surface is like, you know, ah, you know, like, let's mock this overly emotive culture. Whereas if you kind of like dig a little bit deeper, and not even that much deeper, but if you look at it, it kind of reflects the Irishness of, you know, not, not being able to tap into our own emotions, even at the turn of the millennium, and I think it's a good commentary. I think like on both of those kind of stretches, and I don't think that the I think that the judgment is being cast there. It's not being cast on the Americans. It's being cast on us for being kind of just beholden to this kind of Irish stereotype of you know being great to hang out with, but we bottle up our emotions type thing. And again, I'm really impressed when a song can do that, which is one line, like you know, like and, and the way that she sings it as well is very very good. Her presence on this record I find quite interesting because. At certain points, she's at the forefront and she's guiding everything. But then there are other times when she kind of almost registers as like a as a passenger, but not in a passive way. And you can kind of choose when to tune into her and when to kind of zone out. And it's a compliment to the songs. I mean, even that song, The Bomb Circle, has this gorgeously just like simple arrangement. Like it's marching drums, it's glockenspiel touches, and it kind of, you know, you get a little bit of kind of like, you know, I guess guitar or synth lines just kind of coming in to, to kind of bed it down. Like it's never an album that goes too far, I think, in terms of its production. I will agree with what you said earlier, like there's times when it feels a little bit padded. But like at times I was kind of thinking about Shoegaze records. I was thinking about like even not quite the level, of course, of my buddy Valentine, but not too far off. I like that they don't want to be boxed in. And again, to refer back to that review, Peter Murphy, who obviously loved the record, his problem with it, though, was that he felt that there was no singles. Oh, no, the, I, that's, I think that's but really is that like, strongly that... No, I think it's not that there's no singles. I didn't no want singles, singles on yeah, this. But do, uh, ignore the word singles. Radio songs. Or no, ignore the word radio songs. Okay. It's, it's a concise feature track, you know? A track which you say... I think that is missing a little bit. A hit? Bit. Is that the word? No, I don't mean a hit, but okay. I don't I don't I don't mean anything to do with that. What I mean is it's like the song for me if I'm like oh, I want you, I'm going to play you a song. You know in that way and if you know like my friend I call over to my friend Kevin Kevin's house and he sits there and goes okay, listen listen to this puts on, you know, whatever and I go, "Yeah, it's pretty good, you know, whatever." That that thing of doing that there isn't a song here because all of them are like I wouldn't. You would need to do that consecutively for twenty minutes for the song to kind of go into their heads. They're all sleepers. Every song in this album is gorgeous. I think it's really, really good. I think they're all growers. They're all sleepers. They're all, um, um, for want of a kind of a, a better phrase, they're the ones that kind of burrow into you a little bit. Yeah, totally. it's it's brilliant. But as a result, there isn't an imme- there, There's a lack of immediacy at times, and so 
that can be a little bit it can be a bit nebulous it takes a little while for you to get a, there is that only a problem though if you're looking at it from say like a commercial point of view if you're like why aren't this yes. band bigger that's the reason but like I think if you were someone who was into the band and also into the idea of the album being the album particularly around that time when the album was the album for a lot of people it was like either you make tapes off the radio that you listen to or you buy albums so I kind of feel like in that regard it is rewarding and challenging I mean granted now especially when you're kind of up against it even as you are saying earlier on Ed I, I know that feeling of being like there's just so much music and mm. I can't really kind of parse a lot of it I like that this record made me do that. It actually made me stop listening yeah. to what I was listening to. It made me stop watching Glastonbury at the weekend when I, was, when, I was, when I was listening to it. And I was like, no, no, I want to focus on this because I know that this needs to be unlocked and unpacked. And agree that not. can't be yeah. a fault of the band though, or the record. That's a fault of where we are in 2017 versus where we would have been in 1999 and what we were doing. I, I would really. uh, disagree to a large extent. I think this album, of all the five, suffers from the worst filler-to-killer ratio. Really? And I think there isn't as much to unpack as you say. It's lovely to listen to. And I mean, the real star of the show here is uh, Carol's voice. Mm-hmm. And the tracks in which he is maybe more towards the, the background on it are the, uh, the, the lesser or the worser uh, of the tracks. I mean, there's, it, it, she has such a beautiful voice. And when they focus on her voice, they're the strongest songs. And I think the tracks, there's uh, Doppler effect and over, I think. They like to sound like the soundtrack to a terrible student film, and and I think oh, that so you didn't like those ones. I didn't. Okay. No, I, I, but, I, but I, but I mean, there is some beautiful. They, they, it's a very lovely shimmer off this album. It's maybe leading on for the title of it that there is a very summery. Uh, reminded me of Harry Wheeler of the Sundays a lot. Uh, the Sundays are, to my mind, a better band than uh, Kirsty McCall. There's a lot of the Plague Monkeys, but I mean, there's a lot go- going on here. I think it's spread a bit thin over the, the entire album, but there is at least three or f- maybe four. Very lovely songs. Uh, I don't quite get the. the I, I wouldn't be able to drill down as deep as you have there sure. in, in, into it and get much more of it than, than than what you have. Uh, but I, I hate to use the word pleasant, but it was, it was really lovely. <laughs> and uh, it would, again, if I was doing up a maybe a, a playlist for kind of a summer chill out, you know, drive or in, you know having a few friends over, and I wanted something there to kind of soundtrack the kind of summery vibes. And bring us, I'm not saying it's all happy-go-lucky or anything like that, but I think her voice really is the star of the show. And when they kind of sideline her slightly, the album just it goes. I, I go a bit tone deaf for it. Then, how do you feel about like the the kind of the two-part track, like Polar Magnets, parts one and two? I got a real kind of like Granddaddy meets John Hopkins thing off there. And yeah, that yeah. is more of an atmospheric ambient. Maybe track. there's a bit more ambition there than I'm than, than I'm allowing. But uh, I listened to I think it was twice last night, uh, and again of the five, I think there's maybe more filler than. That I found there was a consistency in the other albums, but I think that's I think that I think that is it. I think if you if you you have to work at it, like I had to listen to this album a lot for it to feel like I could get it, because that was the thing I was saying when, when when I hear someone saying something about singles, it isn't that I necessarily mean singles. It's that the thing where you're like, it's just you're on top of it and you know it. It takes a little while to do that, but when you do, I think it's incredibly rewarding. Um, this Carol Kyo, she's in, she's doing two jobs here. Okay, so half of the songs, roughly, are her standing on a mountain in a kind of a white, basically kind of a toga, and it's she's being blown. She's holding a sword and she's singing this incredibly dramatic way, you know, like and that's the music video. And then the other uh, the other half of it is her, you know, in a little dimly lit theater on stage with a with a, with a I just spotlight. See her curled up in a bedsit. Yeah, or, or you in know, she's holding a skull and she's and like a two bar heater on singing <laughs> yeah. singing to the you know like it's it's quite dramatic. 
like a lot of it is it's quite brave it's like she's I, I think that the album is adventurous I think it's go it doesn't always get there I think it's lyrically brave and I think it doesn't always work but I think that when it works this is the most interesting I think it's I think the best songs on this I think it's I think it's too long I think there's a lot of filler on it um, I would you know cut off four or five songs and the, it's uh, one of the things I thought about it was there's a lot of <laughs> closing tracks on it that's true there there are. a lot of songs yeah. you could have as the closing track of <laughs> you know that kind of epic you know drifting into the kind and of, here's another know. one yeah, like, <laughs> yeah there is a little bit of that for sure but yeah. I thought that um, Sea Change is the third last track I would have ended it there I think it's I think that would be fine and there's one or two things like Sea Change Part 2 and the polar bits and the, the, the Doppler magnets, and yeah, just, you know over and so like this couple I would have taken out and the first track I don't th- I think is unrepresentative uh, the last bus song I don't think it's representative of it but I think there's a song called Rogue Gene there's a song called uh, 256 Shades 23 of Grey 23C is good I thought uh, yeah and yeah. but there's a there's a there's a line in, in um, there's a line in, in uh, 256 Shades of Grey and I think it's the third or fourth line she's just kind of singing and then she sings this little lilting kind of melody which is um, the colour of aquamarine and I was walking along today and I had heard it and today that just stu- I've been singing that little there's a little, it's a tiny little bit of a melody but it just stuck in my head and it just took me like a lot of listens for it to kind of embed you know and I think that's really interesting I don't listen to a lot of albums that take work like this and this took work yeah. I definitely need to give it some more yeah. work because I, and this is, the, this is the really difficult thing about listening to music of an era retrospectively because I found it really hard to separate. I really, really love Automata and I love Carol's lyrics with Automata and obviously they, I I found it very hard to disassociate the because it's the same voice yeah. but quite different music so I kind of struggled with separating that when trying to get into this album. Well, she went on with Donald O'Mahony who's in this band to be in the Tycho Bray and they had a song called Defiance and Defiance is one of the uh, one of my favourite song, Irish songs ever. It's Am I Not a Good Person? I don't want, Am I Not a Good You're Person? You're not. <laughs> Thanks. But uh, it's just one of the most incredible songs. And I wish there was a song that kind of accessible on this because I think this album, you know, take off the two worst on and put two bangers on, like singles on it, if you know what I mean. And the rest of the album carries it <clears throat> and would give people an in. But it's, it's like there's no in, you know, you're at, a, you're at a sheer rock face here. It just feels a bit student a bit lightweight, a bit student experimental. I mean, some of the records here again, as I say, I just I mean, brought back to the late nineties in Dublin or my own student days. And there's a certain manic pixie girl quality to the songs that I just they're kind of like a dog whistle to me. But uh, you know, as, as Elaine was saying that as she went on in her career, I think she you know she matured and and I think that that the songwriting got better, maybe the production got better, and uh, with Avocates, obviously. Uh, much stronger songs and I think that it really suited her she does have a very raw talent mm. and I think it's it's a bit too raw here for me there's the makers of a great artist which we were to find out later on I don't think this is the album that's going to showcase that to the best. I just wanted to just there's a, a lyric on Rogue Gene which is uh, one of my favourites it's uh, I think it's it's not my favourite it's one of my favourites on the album and the lyric in the verse is I tire of people asking why as a prelude prelude to judgement the killing kinds that give the lie to the politics of dysfunction is this the core of emptiness in each suburban district or the anomaly of consciousness you know that's a lot okay (laughs) but my point is is like that is like you know to sing a lyric like that that means something to make it work I think is I would so much prefer to hear someone going for something 
you know, brave and ambitious and different and interesting and it working and then sometimes not working, then here's someone who has done lots of kind of safe stuff and it's always kind of working, you know. And so I, I think I think artistically you have to re- you have to reference that you have to have you have to say fair fucks. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing here is noble failure. Is that a fair way of putting it? No, because noble failure to me <laughs> not from him. No. No, noble failure to me like it doesn't mean failure. It means that yeah, I know I know what you're saying. There's an awful lot of good here, but it doesn't quite coalesce. Well, um, what's the point of of releasing? I mean, let's let's strip it back a little bit. What you're trying to do is you're trying to um, you're trying to write you know music that connects with people, and I think the best stuff on this is excellent. I think I think there's too much filler. I think there is almost. You know, if it's, I think it's 13 tracks, you know, I mean, I'm talking like four or five. But I think the rest of it is, is really, I, th- I think there's a really, really good album here. It needs a snip across the board. Um, but I think that, just imagine that's happened. And then it's, I think, it, you know what I mean? Just, okay, we've done that. And now this is excellent, you know. Okay, well, we've done that album. And this has been excellent. So let's take a break. We'll come back and see if we can find some kind of champion from these five records. Okay, so how will we break this one down this time, Kieran? Um, well, I think that for me, I have two. Um, I think people should listen to uh, the prayer boat, the prayer boat, and Polly Chanel. I think it's, I think it's an underrated album. I don't hear people talking about it. I haven't heard the uh, the whispers in, in that Ed hears in his head um, <laughs> about the album. I, I, I didn't know the album, and it wasn't something that it's incredible. <laughs> it wasn't something that came uh, that I had uh, experience of so it was a, a real discovery for me and I, and I really think it's something to listen to um, and I think the Plague Monkeys uh, Sunburn Insects I don't think it's a perfect album but I think the best parts of it elevated uh, above the norm um, so I think I think I will say the two of those Fair enough Elaine Buckley um, It's 1999 if I'm going to get the 77A into town to spend £17.99 <laughs> on an album it is without a doubt The Frames Dance the Devil Okie doke and why? I know you've you've expressed it, but just one more time for for any, any of the heathens and skeptics out there. Um, I think it's if if for the heathens and and skeptics out there, I think it's a really accessible frames album to uh, to li- to listen to because say perhaps if you've never seen them live before, which is a huge part of the frames experience, it will make you want to. But also, I the more kind of quieter tracks, um, if they don't make you feel something, I think there's something wrong. Did you hear that, Karen? Something wrong. Well, there's definitely something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Elaine May. Um, so I'm just going to back you up, essentially, what you said there. So I'm going to go for the frames. And as someone who never really listened to them, I found it exactly like that, really accessible. And it kind of made me understand why people liked them so much. Um, and I listened to it the first time and I was like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I, I can kind of see, like, there's some interesting stuff on it. And then I listened to it again and I was like, okay, that sounds really catchy. And then I listened to it again and I was like, oh my God, this whole thing is so good. Like, so I think it just, it really kind of drew me in. And, uh, like, I listened to it again on the way here and I'm kind of... You're a Frames fan. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was really good. And then I, I would also say The Prayer Boat, I think, for anybody who... Um, I had never heard of them and I had never heard that album and I just thought it was really beautiful as well. So I'd definitely give that a listen as well. Boom. <laughs> Ed? Uh, I'm going to follow suit. Um, I think as a confessed cynic when it comes to The Frames, I really think that people... and uh, the, the lazy cynicism that goes on in this country and especially in the music scene centred on Dublin... 
uh, is, is a very negative uh, negative thing. And I think that I've fallen into that trap myself many times over the years. I have have surrounded myself, not on purpose, with people who would speak so ill of Glenn Hansard. I'm surprised he doesn't drop dead at, at any juncture in his life. But that's unfair and it's lazy. And I think that the frames at their best, which you'll hear them in Dance the Devil, uh, is an f- album that, with my revisionist uh, history, well, it's 99 bucket hat on, um, <laughs> is one that needs to be heard. And I think that there's an injustice has been done to the, inf- to the frames over the years, as has been done to the Franks. I want to get a shout in uh, for Beauty Becomes More Than Life because there's much more to the Franks and the, the singles would let, let you think. So, so the frames and the Franks. Yeah. Well summed up. Okay. Um, I want to give a shout to the Plague Monkeys because I do really like it. I want to give a shout to the Prayer Boat because I think it's got a lot of charm. But And I'm genuinely shocked and I hate to sound like a broken record here after what has come before me. But I, if you had said to me, Dave, you're going to put a Frames record out there as you recommend, I would have said, not in a fucking million years, mate. But I am. The Frames dance the devil. I like it. And I think it is accessible. And it did kind of make me kind of wash off some of that cynicism. I reserve the right to still have a lot of criticisms. But, and I will not be suddenly turning around tomorrow and being like, best band ever, he's the greatest. But yeah, I, I really like the record. And I think that, especially if you're coming at it from my point of view, you might well be surprised. And so, the frames, dance the devil. We should be thankful the old triangle isn't on it. Oh, either, Christ, so. yeah. Thankfully. I think it's one of the uh, For that alone. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, we have four votes for the frames. Um, we've got two votes for the prayer, uh, the, the prayer but I'm going to give another vote, just another bonus vote in there. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm not. Um, and Play Monkeys won and, and Frank's won. So it looks like it, the, our recommended album from this episode is um, The Four of Us. Oh, what? <laughs> so the Russian Olympics. Congratulations <laughs> to the four of us. Jesus. No, it's to, uh, it's, it's to the frames. So uh, as your album, which song would you like to play a set with? Um, I think God Loves Mom. Good choice. God okay, um, I want to thank my whole panel because it's been great. Thank you guys for all coming in. I really appreciate it. It's been a good episode and yeah, a fucking good record. So we will play out with the frames. See you next time.
You'll see how hard it can be to keep you out of the deal. podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.